This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 10th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. For the purposes of federal criminal law, a very large chunk of Oklahoma is Indian country. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote for the majority of the Supreme Court and did so simply by holding government to its word. Cato's Walter Olson describes the holding in McGirt v. Oklahoma. For about a split second, I thought there were going to be a lot of really angry former Oklahomans who suddenly learned that they did not, in fact, own the property on which their homes sat. But this is, uh, we're talking about Indian territory for the purposes of uh, specific federal law. Is that right? Yes, Indian country. uh, And that's a specific term in federal law with its own meanings. Uh, And it does not require, and this was one of the issues in the case, does not require that Indians own all or even most of the actual plots of land there. With that uh, out of the way, this is talking about Indian country only for the specific purposes of federal statute. What does that mean? In the case at hand, it means that the uh, man who was convicted in Oklahoma court uh, can get a trial in federal court instead. Uh, but the particular law that dictates that result is just one of many federal laws that uh, make Indian country different, that uh, mean that uh, sometimes tribes have rights to do things environmental complaints, for example, uh, for Indian countries that they would not have other places. Uh, We don't know all of the different ways in which federal law is now going to change, but it's probably going to be a bunch of ways. So uh, part of this, it seems like uh, Justice Gorsuch uh, writing this indicates that the federal government appears not to have taken its treaty obligations very seriously. Well, he's got some amazing language at the beginning of the opinion, and I'll focus on that language for a moment, but I want to get back to the textualism because it's really, in some ways, a very mathematical and textualist opinion, but that's not how it starts out. It um, uh, starts out the phrase, the first sentence, on the far end of the Trail of Tears was a promise Forced to leave their ancestral lands in Georgia and Alabama, the Creek Nation received assurances that their new lands in the West would be secure forever. Now, that's an amazing and emotionally fraught way to start a case, and it's beautifully written throughout. But uh, when he gets to uh, the rationale for the case, he doesn't talk about fairness. Uh, He doesn't talk about equity. He talks about what's within the four corners of the original treaty and all of the later enactments of Congress that might have changed the the tribe's rights. And that's that's where I start because it's where Gorsuch starts. You can see that in other opinions of his, other controversial opinions, other unexpected ones, uh, sometimes in the press, but not so unexpected for uh, those of us who uh, view him as the premier textualist on the court. And if you look at the dissent written by Justice Roberts, and also very typical of Roberts, uh, you find an argument uh, that uh, 
This has been sanctified by long usage. Over the last hundred years, Congress has assumed, the tribe itself has assumed, really everyone has assumed that Indian country evaporated and no longer uh, prevailed in that part of Oklahoma. And for the Supreme Court, most of the time, when you're talking about issues with an old provenance where you're, they're being asked to reconsider something after 100 years or however long, uh, that argument will usually prevail. We saw that just the other day with the faithless electors case, so-called, for example, in which the majority of seven, led by Justice Kagan, made much of the idea that uh, the current accepted role of electors is basically just placeholders for someone who wanted to vote for a candidate rather than someone thinking through who they should vote for. Um, uh, This has been sanctified by long usage. People have uh, built up uh, all of their arrangements on it. Uh, Everyone has assumed this to be uh, the uh, purpose of electors, and we're not going to go back to reconsider uh, something that that changed that long ago. That's very much the dissent. They say, uh, you know, really everyone involved with Indian law, uh, including authorities and and uh, tribal chiefs and others, uh, went on for many decades, assuming that the um, Creek had yielded any uh, sovereignty in, in in this territory, and likewise the other um, uh, four tribes that are in the same position. And so uh, you say that this <laughs> something being very old often uh, is not taken as seriously as it should be. Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch does not appear to be uh, falling for it in a sense. <laughs> well, you know, he, like Scalia, um, has uh, a taste for, um, call it, uh, idealism, call it rhetoric, or what about justice must be done though the heavens fall. Uh, and he's got some amazing language about how, um, uh, here's at the very end of the opinion. Again, he's, he slips from his very analytical mode into this um, more philosophical mode. He says, if Congress wishes to withdraw its promises, it must say so. Unlawful acts performed long enough and with sufficient vigor are never enough to amend the law. To hold otherwise would be to elevate the most brazen and long-standing injustices over the law, both rewarding wrong and failing those in the right, unquote. So that is his philosophy. Uh, A lot of arrangements have been based on the idea that uh, the the tribe no longer uh, is is sovereign there. Uh, Those will have to be rethought because uh, the law must be upheld, even if the heavens fall. The heavens won't fall in this case, but a bunch of <laughs> other things might. What does this mean for people who've been convicted of crimes in certain parts of the state of Oklahoma? Well, some of them are going to be challenging their convictions, and it's not entirely clear what's going to happen. Now, there are, in the past, has been cooperation sometimes between the different Uh, court systems, when uh, things like this have happened, they have tried to make sure that obviously guilty people are not simply set free, uh, or that uh, there is not some sort of lacuna in which uh, it's okay to commit a crime because it was too unsettled who could punish it. At the same time, there are genuine questions. uh, Since the Oklahoma courts are not exactly the same as the federal courts, and maybe you had a defense that you could have raised 
uh, that or you or the, the, the different way in which federal court did it might have made some difference in your case. I, I don't know. They, they've got to at least look at, at some of the cases they will be hearing now. And uh, this is genuine worry. The justices asked about it at oral argument. They worried, including liberal justices who joined uh, Gorsuch today, uh, were concerned that not only criminal law might be disrupted, but also various areas such as adoption and family law in which the application of the Indian Child Welfare Act will now be different. It applies differently in Indian country than it does outside. So it would be... uh, very costly to individual families, for example, that suddenly found themselves in suspension or unable to uh, finish something that had uh, looked uh, you know, quick, quickly resolved uh, because of this. Um, we have to hope that uh, the various parties involved, including the state of Oklahoma, uh, the Creek and the other tribes, but also Congress, because Congress can set the rules here. And if Congress notices something going wrong, uh, you hope that Congress can step in and clarify things. Um, Congress in general can override this decision. Uh, it could take back the whole thing if it wanted to and uh, oust the creek. Probably won't do that uh, because that's not how Congress acted. But it might want to resolve individual issues. And it probably has power to do a lot of that. Who joined Gorsuch uh, in this opinion? And what did the dissents look like? The four Liberal justices joined Gorsuch, and the dissent, the main dissent, was by uh, Chief Justice Roberts. There was also a dissent on a fairly minor issue uh, by uh, Justice Thomas, who's been writing a lot of dissents. Let me talk a little bit more about the coalitions, though, because the majority uh, was not uh, a sure thing by any means. Indian law has not necessarily broken down in left-right categories at the court. Uh, And some of the important decisions adverse to Indian tribal interests have been written by uh, liberal justices like Ginsburg. At the same time, uh, Gorsuch really is a special personality on this. He had made his name uh, as someone who knew a lot about Indian law and had thought deeply about it when he was on the Tenth Circuit. Uh, this came up quite a bit in his confirmation, actually, and he was supported by some Indian groups who viewed him not only as knowledgeable, but also as favorable uh, to uh, tri- tribal interests. So I think uh, one of the ways the court works is that it develops experts on particular topics and then it tends to let those persons write the opinions. Uh, you know, some people write more opinions about. Uh, education law, some write more about securities law and and so forth. And uh, because no one else had particularly been recognized as an expert on Indian law, um, I think they wanted to hear what he had to say. He wrote a long opinion laying out a lot of his thinking, which people are going to read not just for the immediate case at hand, but in order to get a sense of whether Indian law more generally is uh, now going to change because it's got someone who has been thinking about it for many, many years on the court. So for tribes that have felt sort of cast aside and and felt that the federal government's treaty obligations have not been honored, that they have had un, unfair rules presented to them, this would seem like a pretty big boost. It's fascinating what effect this will have on uh, that set of issues because uh, Indian law is... Uh, something that Gorsuch takes seriously. And uh, I think reading the 
beautifully written and carefully argued extent of his opinion. Um, it elevates that topic. Uh, at the same time, let me throw in a caution, which is uh, to uh, be a um, serious thinker about the topic doesn't mean that he's going to come out on the side of tribal ambitions all the time. Gorsuch, above all, is a textualist. And if Congress has passed something withdrawing a promise uh, that had been made in a treaty, um, he's got a bunch of references in the opinion today which suggest uh, that's Congress's decision and he will live with it or he will enforce it or call it what you will. So uh, to the extent that the federal government has remained silent and acted contrary to its explicit agreements, uh, that should be a big red flag for folks. That is exactly what he seizes on here. He says Congress can break treaties uh, seven days a week if it wants to. That's my language, not his. But it has to say it's doing so. It has to put it down sufficiently clearly that we know it is withdrawn the promise. And unless we see that uh, act uh, of, of withdrawal, our job as a court is to assume that the promise is still in place and must be lived up to. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.